So um, back in the, um, I think like the second week of January, I told you guys that over the next several months, um, I wanted to share, I didn't, I didn't want to do it as a sermon series per se, but I wanted to share with you a series of sermons over the next several months uh, that kind of concentrate on what I'm calling our Methodist DNA. In other words, these are going to be sermons, these are going to be themes, these are going to be topics that um, pertain to uh, some certain aspects of our Methodist tradition that are either um, um, very much emphasized in our tradition or that are unique to our tradition, uh, maybe both even. So the first week we talked about, the first time that we preached on this subject, I preached on the idea of mission. I talked about the fact that Methodists have always been a missional people. And that's why we're focusing so much on this idea of mission right now and have been focusing on it so much for the last several months. Um, that from the beginning, people, the, 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 the entire movement, and it was a movement in every sense of the word, was focused on being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. It wasn't focused just on evangelization. In other words, it wasn't focused just on bringing people into a relationship with Christ, which, of course, is very important. It pushed it further. It gathered people together, and it discipled people. And what you saw happen is that, is that the Methodist movement just grew like crazy over a very short period of time, a very short amount of time, both in England and then, then moving over to the United States. Um, and that's been our purpose. That has been, that's been kind of our found, one of our foundational purposes from, from since the 1700s is that we're a missional people. I reminded you that the, uh, the current mission statement of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ with transformation of the world. So we talked about this mission, the fact that we're missional people, and we, and we did another sermon on uh, our Methodist DNA, too, and um, it was focused on what we refer to as the means of grace, and if you weren't here for that, I'll try my best real quick-like. Um, we believe that once we're saved, once we're brought into that relationship with Christ, we're not supposed to just stop where we are, that God wants us actually to be transformed and to be formed into the mind and the heart of Christ. How do we go through practice, just like anything else. We only get better at something, and we only grow at something through practice. And we have spiritual practices. Sometimes we call them spiritual disciplines, prayer, scripture study, gathering together like we are here this morning, worshiping together, fasting, those types of things. These are all tools. These are all things that we have at our disposal that help us to work alongside with God so that we can grow, so that we can be transformed in our minds and our hearts. And we call these things, we call these practices the means of grace. Uh, today we're going to focus on something just for a few minutes that is uh, kind of been we've, we've kind of got sidetracked on this thing for a while in in, in my in my humble humble opinion, um, but it's a it's it's a it's an aspect of our tradition that that's kind kind of come to be overlooked or minimized for whatever reason, and uh, that is the historical emphasis on what on this idea of holiness or what we refer to as holiness, both personal and social holiness. And I realize that probably 99.9% .9 of you guys have never heard of this idea of social holiness. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that as we conclude this sermon. No doubt you've certainly heard of the word holiness, however, um, if you've been in, the, in, the, in a church any amount of time. And, uh, and, and we'll, again, we'll touch on this idea of social holiness in, in uh, just a few minutes. Um, as we move forward, you know, I, I think that one reason that we tend to... Uh, to try to sidestep this, this idea of, 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 of holiness, this historical thing that we've always had as Methodists, is, uh, is, is, is when, we, when that word comes to our minds, I think a lot of times a lot of negative imagery probably comes into our minds and to our hearts. I think that a lot of times we hear that word holiness, we want to equate that with 
self-righteousness or we want to equate it with people who are holier than thou, so to speak. And uh, we tend to think of people's beliefs about holiness kind of as outward expressions of what holiness looks like, right? In other words, let me just say this from the get-go. Holiness has nothing to do about the clothes that we wear or the clothes that we don't wear. Holiness has nothing to do about the type of food and the type of beverages that we ingest. Uh, it's not the music that we listen to. It's not the television or the movies that we watch. It's not about the way that we cut our hair. It's not about the way that we groom ourselves. And it's certainly not about self-righteousness or a sense of superiority. Holiness, like so much that we talk about here at Venus, holiness is a matter of the heart. That's its root. That's its foundation. It is a condition of the mind. It's a condition of the heart. It's a condition of the spirit. And it begins, again, with so much that we talk about here at Bemis. It begins with love, and it begins with love for God, and it begins with love for neighbor. That's our understanding of what holiness is. Love for God and love for neighbor. It's about inward purity. And I don't just mean purity in, 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 in the things that we do outwardly, per se. I mean purity of motive, purity of intention. Why do I do the things that I do? What motivates me? Is that motive pure? These are all examples of what inward holiness really looks like and what it is. It's not all these outward expressions that we tend to think of. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, When our minds and our hearts are centered on God and, and our love for God and our love for others, that inward holiness is definitely, will, will definitely express itself um, through outward means. It may very well affect the way that we dress sometimes. Uh, it may very well affect the, the, the media that we consume. But at its core, at its very core, holiness begins inwardly. So I want to take a look at, at a scripture out of the book of Leviticus uh, for a couple minutes. Yeah, I'm going back to Leviticus, guys. But this is uh, Leviticus chapter 19, and we're going to read verses uh, 1 and 2 to start with. And then we're going we're, we're to skip down to verses 17 and 18. And I'll come, back and I'll come back and briefly cover some of those uh, in-between verses. But Leviticus 19, verse 1 reads, starting verse 1, verse 1 and 2, The Lord said to Moses, Speak, speak to the entire assembly of Israel. Say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now we'll skip down to verse 17. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the word of God for the people of God. So go bring back uh, verse 1, if you don't mind, um, Lorelai. <clears throat> so chapter 19 of, of Leviticus kind of begins with God's instructions to the people of Israel. What are his instructions? Be holy as I am holy. And then we skip down to 17 and 18. And we see this aspect of what holiness looks like. Let me reread that to you, 17 and 18. Remember, the chapter started out, be holy as I am holy. Then he says, don't hate, don't hate your fellow Israelite in your heart, rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you won't share in their guilt. Don't seek revenge, don't bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself. That is one aspect of what holiness is holiness looks like, loving our neighbor as ourself. Now specifically right here in these scriptures in verse 18, loving your neighbor as yourself as it was originally written was intended 
as love your fellow Israelites as yourself. Okay, it, it would be kind of the equivalent of love your Bemis family as yourself. But God expands on that, and he clarifies it a little bit more in some scriptures that we didn't read. If you were to read a little bit further down, <clears throat> and I'm not going to read it to you. you. You can go back and check it out for yourself. What you're going to find is that God actually expands on this idea of love. God instructs the Israelites to extend that love to all people, not just their fellow Israelites. He tells them to love and to treat foreigners among them just like they do each other. So to be holy as God is holy is to both love God and others. And what you see throughout the entirety of chapter 19 between these two verses, these two sections of verses that, I just, that we just read, there are a number of commands that God gives the people that are expressions of that holiness. Expressions for love of God and for neighbor. Are, are y'all following me? Am I, am, I, am I doing an okay job so far? Kind of bring this idea of holiness? So God kind of breaks it down. He says, uh, like I said, be holy for I am holy. Then he explains it to us in 17 and 18. Here's kind of what it looks like. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you were to go down a little bit further, you'd see where he, again, extends that to love, love, the, love the foreigners among you. So it's an expansion. Love everybody. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor's everybody. And then between verses 2 and 16, God kind of gives this list of commands that express, that are outward expressions of what this holiness looks like. What does, what does out, what's a good outward expression of loving God and loving neighbor? Let me give you just a couple examples real quick. And I've got to take my glasses off to do this because I'm getting old. I know, right? Let me just read to you a few of these and see if you can't spot love God and love your neighbor in these commands. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourself. Y'all tell me. Love for God, love for neighbor, anything? Tell me, tell me. Love God, right, right. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Thank you, Rudy. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of, of, of your God. I am the Lord. Love your God. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Love your neighbor. You see how every single one of those is an expression of either loving God or loving your neighbor? That's what holiness is. There's a, uh, there's a, a professor and, and, and an author that I follow uh, pretty closely, and one of the exercises that he does in his class, in one of his classes, is he will, in one of his Old Testament classes, is he'll get his students to write down to go through all, what is it, Paula, 617 Old Testament laws? To go through all 617 Old Testament laws and notate beside each one if it, if it, if it reflects loving God or loving your neighbor. And you can do it with all 617 of them. If you want to know what holiness looks like, it's very simple. And y'all know, y'all know, y'all know that I talk about this and talk about it and talk about it. But that's where it all starts. Loving God and loving Methodism from its earliest days has always been a, a holiness movement. One of the primary emphases of our, of our movement has been to seek real, authentic heart change. 
heart change that moves us away from sin, heart change that moves us away from uh, self-righteousness towards hearts that are pure in motive, hearts that are pure in intention, hearts that are grounded in love for God and for one another. Every single thing that we do flows from that. Every single thing that we are as Christians flows from those two things. Everything that we think, everything that comes out of our mouth, every action that we take flows from one of those two things. It's either a reflection of not loving God or loving God, or it's a reflection of not loving our neighbor or loving our neighbor. Holiness. So that's personal holiness. And, that, and you know, we should have a pretty good grounding of that idea right now, what, what, what personal holiness is. Another holiness, another type of holiness is very unique to our Methodist tradition is this thing that I mentioned in the beginning, and it's something that we call social holiness. John Wesley is very uh, one of the most famous writings that, uh, that, he, that he has that was related to this subject. He said, God, the, he said the gospel, or he wrote, the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social. It knows no holiness but social holiness. What does that mean? It means that Christianity is not a solitary religion. It means it was never meant for us to be practiced on our own. It means that we live personal holiness through socialization. We live holiness out in our community. We live holiness out among our brothers and our sisters in the church, loving each other, helping each other, serving each other. If you are a United Methodist Church member, or if you, if you, were, if you were baptized into the church, or if you came later as a professing member, <coughs> You have made a promise to confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, to put your whole trust in His grace, to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church. Not by yourself, not on your own. In union with the church. These are our, these are our baptismal vows or our professional vows. The congregation when we make those vows, in turn promises to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and they promise to live according to the example of Christ. The congregation promises to surround us with a community of love and a community of forgiveness, that we may grow in our trust of God, and that we may be found faithful in our service to others. The congregation promises to pray for us, that we may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life, social holiness togetherness, unification, unity, whatever you want to call it. It was never meant to be just me practicing my religion on my own. You're not going to grow like that for one thing. You'll, you'll never grow on your own to the degree that you'll be able to grow within the help and the love of the community. One of our uh, UMC resources that I found while I was, while I was uh, preparing for this, kind of put it like this. It said, holiness is social because, guess what? God is social. Remember, we talked about the Trinity last week. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God lives in a social relationship. We are social. Holiness is social because God is social. He created human beings in his image to be relational creatures. If you truly love God, then you must love your brother and your sister in Christ and your neighbor. This requires us to be in relationships with people that God places alongside us in the church. The people of our neighborhoods, the people of our cities, and the people of the world around us. Social holiness. Living that out among the community. Loving each other, serving each other, helping one another to grow, discipling one another. It means, church, that we grow not by ourselves, 
And we're not healed by ourselves. And I'm talking about spiritual healing here. We're healed within the community that we call church with one another to grow into mature in love for God and for neighbor, neighbor and purity of heart, purity of intention, purity of motive. And we do that with and through each other. That's why, church, that's why we do so many things. That's why we do so many of the things that we do here at Bemis. Because we grow with each other and we heal spiritually with each other. One of the uh, one of the biggest blessings I've had since being at Bemis occurs within our life groups. And um, you don't have to take my word for it. And I'm not going to call anybody out. That's, that's their business to tell you. But I think pretty much anybody who regularly attends our life groups will tell you they have personally experienced on a regular basis now, I'm talking about the ones who attend on a regular basis, will tell you they have experienced some sort of spiritual growth and spiritual healing because of it. Because that's where healing occurs. That's where emotional and spiritual healing occurs. It occurs within community. It occurs when we are able to open up to one another. And in all honesty, in our life groups, we barely really just kind of scratch the surface. We're really, we're really just touching on some superficial stuff. But it's honest. It's honest. And people open up a good bit. And they talk about themselves. And they talk about, they, we talk about our sins. We talk about where we struggle. We talk about where we flourish, where we're doing well. We talk about our relationship with God. I don't give advice to anybody. It's not about giving advice. It's just, it's just about opening up to each other and being honest with each other and being transparent. That's what social holiness looks like. And that's where spiritual healing occurs. That's where spiritual growth occurs. And that's why I'm so insistent on doing some of the things that we do here because I've experienced it myself and I want other people to experience it as well.